the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. If you are married, again, in general, but if you're married, wives need to understand there's a certain need your husband has that you cannot meet. And likewise, man, there's a certain need that your wife has that you cannot meet. And that is for same-gender friendship. Platonic, but deep and profound friendships that happen, okay? My wife and I have come to understand this better as the years have gone on. And we make certain allowances. Like, she can tell, like, you need guy time, don't you? Like, she can start to tell. Amen to that. As much as I love my wife and I love spending time with her, sometimes I just need to hang out with the guys and play some sports or video games. Pastor Gary teaches us in today's message the importance of having close, same-gender friendships. God has wired men and women differently, and we need our brothers and sisters who understand us. As you hear about David and Jonathan's strong friendship, Take time to celebrate and invest in the friends God has placed in your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Some kind of, almost in a humorous way, wonder why he chose five stones. I mean, if you really are, you know, believing God is going to give you the victory, isn't one stone enough? But some like to point out the fact, and it is mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 21, you don't need to turn there, that Goliath had four relative giants, four relatives in his family who were also giants. They're mentioned in 2 Samuel 21 verses 18 to 22. David and his men will later kill them as well. So some, some are saying, you know, if Goliath goes down and his four relatives come after me, I'm ready with four more stones. Uh, so that's why he perhaps chose five. But otherwise, he's just being prepared for battle here. And so, and so here he goes. It says in verse 41, And so the Philistine came, this is Goliath, and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him, because Goliath has an an armor bearer, like he needs one, but there he is. And the man who had the shield went before him, and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, he hated him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. And so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Now let me point out to you, that was actually a statement that was a lot worse than it sounds. Because the word for dog in Hebrew is Caleb. We have an English version of the name Caleb, comes from Caleb, meaning dog. And this isn't to say that this is what the name Caleb means today. But in Old Testament scripture, 
In Deuteronomy 23, verse 18, the word dog was a euphemism. Kelev in Hebrew was a euphemism for a male prostitute. So he, Goliath, is taunting David by saying, what do you think I am, just a male prostitute that you're coming after me with a stick? Like this is a much more disparaging thing than just saying, am I a dog? He's actually using a euphemism here that in Hebrew was uh, a, a much more disgusting than just saying, am I like a puppy dog here? And so and it says, and the Philistine cursed David. By his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So Goliath is basically saying to him, You want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? You little punk, come, fight me. And then David said to the Philistine, verse 45, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. What a great little speech there, huh? So I want you to notice what he's saying here. This is another point. It's number five on our list. The battle is the Lord's, and so is the glory. In that little speech that I just read to you between verses 45 and 47, six times, six times in three verses, David invokes the name of God. He refers to him as the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. There is a God in Israel. The Lord does not save with sword and spear. The battle is the Lord's. And so it is important for us to remember the one fighting our battles. It's not in our strength. It's in the strength of the Lord. And David knows this. If he had gone up, you know, to this nine foot, nine inch giant and how tall was David? You know, maybe, maybe five feet, five, four, like, like the average height of a man in that day was not much more than about five, six. So, you know, he's standing there in the shadow of this giant. And if he had said to him, you know, I'm just going to rip your head off. Wait till you see what I can do. You know, like a ninja. If he had done that, like he would have been, he would have been toast. But he knows, like, this is the Lord's doing, and the Lord's going to give the victory here. And so he gives, he gives God the glory because he knows the battle is the Lord's. And so it says, so it was, verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. This is probably would have been the only place on his body that wasn't covered by armor of some kind. Because he has a helmet, he has a coat of mail, and he has a spear and a javelin. Like, he's covered up, he's got a shield, he's got an armor bearer with a shield. This is probably the only place that was exposed, and yet with great precision, David goes right for that open place on his forehead. He slung it, and it struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead. Okay, that's some force, friends. And he fell on his face to the earth. Now, do you know what I find interesting about that? Is that when David, by the ability of the Lord, kills Goliath, Goliath doesn't fall backwards. He falls forward on his face. It's a posture of worship. You remember when the 
Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant from the Israeli army and had taken it into their temple of Dagon. Remember that their god was called Dagon. It was half fish, half man, and they worshiped this, you know, freakish idol. And that when God was getting their attention, Dagon in the temple that they had, the Philistines' temple, Dagon, the statue, kept falling down, and it would always keep falling face forward, face forward, face forward. Because it's God's way of saying, when I defeat the enemy, they're going to know who God is. Like, they're not just going backwards. He falls forward. And it's kind of like this posture of, I'm yielding to the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it says, so verse 50, and so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. And so, therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword this is a huge sword. He takes, he takes Goliath's sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. David's got some chutzpah, shall we say, right? I mean, he's rolling like New York mafia style, ladies and gentlemen. He's like, I'm going to finish this guy off. I'm not taking any chances. I see that, that my stone that I just slung has sunk way into his forehead. But just to be sure, I'm cutting off this dude's head. And he cuts off his head. He cuts off his head. And when the Philistines, the rest of the army of the Philistines, saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharaim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took, look at this, he took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. So he takes the the sword and and some of the armor off of Goliath. That's like his trophy. But he's got this main trophy, which is Goliath's head. And, you know, and how huge would the head of a man who's nine foot nine been? You know, like the size of a basketball, probably. He's got this huge head, probably holding it by the hair. I know I'm grossing out some of you right now, but it's in the Bible. I mean, here it is. And then it says, and when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, He said to Abner, now Abner was his commander of the Israeli army. Abner was also Saul's uncle. He says to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And so the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. And then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. He's not letting that trophy go, ladies and gentlemen. He's like, I'm bringing this with me wherever I go now. See what I've done? Yeah, the Lord has done through me. Take a look. He brought the head with him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Okay. So now Saul's putting two and two together. Oh, you're the guy that played sweet music for me. Oh, you're the guy, the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. Let's go into chapter 18. We'll go just a little ways here. Chapter 18 says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day, took David that day, and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. So so David's going to enter the service of the king. He's going to enter the palace of the king, verse 3. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. 
All right, I want to spend a little bit of time here, and I've got about uh, 14, 15 minutes left. And I don't prefer to spend a lot of time talking about this, but I will, because the homosexual community has hijacked this passage of Scripture to fit their narrative that Jonathan and David had a homosexual relationship. And even liberal theologians in some churches will teach from this passage that that is exactly what is happening here, that they had some kind of a same-sex attraction and that they had something much more than a friendship, that there was this sexual relationship between these two guys. Now, for those of you who are new to our Bible study, Jonathan in this story is the son of King Saul. If anybody should be threatened by David and the victory that he has just had by the grace of God over Goliath, it would be Jonathan, because Jonathan is next in line to be king, except that God has already predetermined that David is going to be king and not Jonathan. But Jonathan, not really understanding all of that, is not intimidated here. He's not insecure. He has a love for David. He even takes off, notice that he takes off his, the, the robes of a prince, and he gives them to David as a way of showing respect and honor to him. It's going to be Jonathan's father, Saul, who's the one who's really intimidated and insecure about David and David's uh, success. But in this passage here, it speaks about this love that Jonathan and David had. And a love, it's mentioned twice there, this love, and it even speaks about a soul, a love that even meets some kind of a soul need here. So look, one thing that I think is important to understand after having kind of framed how this passage has been hijacked to give this narrative of a homosexual relationship. One of the things that sometimes people have a hard time understanding, and I'm going to use this in the context of men, even though this would also apply to women, but I'm only going to use it in the context of men because that's the context here between two men. People have a hard time understanding that real men can have a real love for each other without it being sexual. And there's a closeness and a camaraderie and a bond that men can have, and it is not sexual at all. What is happening here is not a sexual relationship. What is happening here is these are two men. Now, now granted, David is a young man. Jonathan, Jonathan is about 20 to maybe as much as 30 years older than David. And yet they have mutual respect for one another as warriors. There is something in the way that God has made men to be willing to die for others. And if a man is not willing to die, especially for his wife and for his family, he's not a real man. Like real men are wired intrinsically with a readiness to die. And these are two guys who have this willingness and this readiness. And especially in those kind of circles where men are ready to die for one another. Those of you who have fought in wars, there's a military camaraderie among soldiers and sailors and people who, who understand combat, where if you're willing to die for one another, there is this bond that happens. And again, I'm speaking just in the context for the moment of men to frame this story. But there's a bond that happens between men when you're willing to die for each other and fight for each other and risk your lives for each other. And you see it in military units. You see it often in first responder units. 
you see just on a lesser level where you're not willing to die for it, but you see it in certain circles where, for example, like just, you know, a football team where, where men are together and they're, you know, they're, they're working together and playing together and working hard and serving together. You see this kind of camaraderie that is knit, and that's one of the words that is used here, knit, that his, Jonathan's soul was knit with David. Well, look, we use that expression, you know, a family that's really close, we say they're close-knit. You know, this is not some sexual thing that is happening here. There is a closeness here that has developed among these two. Now, look, it does say the word love twice, okay? It is the Hebrew word ahav, ahav. There is a different word that means sexual lust, and that is, it sounds similar, but it's with a G instead of an H. It's agav. Agav in Hebrew means a sexual kind of a lust. Ahav, with an H, A-H-A-V, Ahav, or another form of it is Ahava. That is a love that, yes, can mean marital love, but more often than not in the Bible, Ahava, and those of you who love like the Dead Sea products, Ahava, that's, that just means love. More often than not, Ahava or Ahav translates in the Old Testament as family love, friendship love, even the love of God, the love of neighbor, the love of strangers. And just to, again, because this is a passage that has, that has been hijacked, I just want to spend a couple of minutes just kind of pointing this out with you. And so here's the references. The first time that Ahav appears in the Bible, the word love is mentioned in the Hebrew, Ahav. It's in Genesis 22, verse 2. And it is when Abraham loved Isaac and was prepared to sacrifice him. It's a beautiful picture, by the way, of God the Father ready to sacrifice his son Jesus. And by the way, where that occurred on Mount Moriah, when Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac in obedience to God, although it never transpired, God was testing his heart. Where that occurred on Mount Moriah is the exact place where the crucifixion of Christ took place. The parallels there are for another Bible study. But when Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac, it says for the first time in the Bible, Genesis 22, verse 2, that Abraham loved Isaac, Ahav. It's also used to describe Isaac's love for his son Esau in Genesis 25, 28. It is also used to describe the love for God in Exodus 20, verse 6, where God says he shows mercy to thousands, to those who love him and keep his commandments. That's Ahav. It's mentioned in Leviticus 19.18, when the directive is to love your neighbor as yourself, that's Ahav. And even in Deuteronomy 10.19, the love for a stranger, Ahav. So this is the same word that is being used here in this friendship between Jonathan and David. There's nothing sexual going on here. This is a deep and profound bond that two men have for one another that is glorifying to God that is not sexual. Now, let me just say something while we're on this subject. And this is important for everybody, but this is also particularly important for married couples. If you are married, again, in general, but if you're married, wives need to understand there's a certain need your husband has that you cannot meet. And likewise, man, there's a certain need that your wife has that you cannot meet. And that is for same gender friendship, platonic, but deep and profound friendships that happen. Okay. 
My wife and I have come to understand this better as the years have gone on. And we make certain allowances. Like she can tell, like you need guy time, don't you? Like she can start to tell. I'm not telling you that I get irritable or cranky or anything. I'm just saying she can begin to say, you need some guy time, don't you? And it's true. There are times I just need something that involves dirt or blood or both. Dirt or blood. I just, I need to go outside. Listen, you know, it's not just because I'm a guy. I'm also, my dad took a swab of his DNA. We did the whole ancestry thing. I found out we're related to Neil of the Nine Nains in Ireland. He was a king of Ireland in the sixth century AD. He was responsible for killing St. Patrick. Okay. It's in my blood. I got like murderers back in my family tree. We're just going around. It's magically delicious. We're chopping off heads and we're killing people. So, so anyway, so that's, that's going on there too. But I mean, there's a time when, you know, I just, I need to sweat. I need some dirt. I need blood. I need adventure. There's one time, Terry and I laugh about this, but there was one time I played tennis with my wife. One time we were married, like, I don't know, six months and I did not know how to play gently. I just couldn't do it. There was something about my racket every single time that would just want to cream that ball. And I tried. I just like, uh, how do I just gently, I couldn't even get over the net when I was just trying, how do I just gently lob this over? So I'm like, I'm just going for it. And like, that was the last time we played tennis. Last time she said, I'm not playing tennis with you anymore. So why not? She goes, because you don't know how to play gently. Okay, okay, it's true. I don't know how to play gently. So that's our story. Like there's just some things. So listen, I, I got a buddy who's asking me, come hunt wild boar with me. I said this to Terry the other day. She goes, he wants me to come hunt wild boar. She goes, what? You're going to die. I said, yeah, that's the opportunity. That's the There's just something there. And I, and I could not say to her, I could not say to her, well, why don't you and I go wild boar hunting? You know, that just doesn't, it doesn't work, right? And nor does she have an interest in doing that. So there are just some things that we need to understand the way that God has uniquely made men and the way that God has uniquely made women to celebrate those differences, but also to realize that there's a certain sense of camaraderie and friendship that will only be able to be met in that certain way by a same gender friend. And so that's what's happening here. Completely platonic, nothing lewd or immoral here, as much as you're going to hear that. I'm just telling you, I've, I've tried to break it down with you and show you that this word love is used throughout the Old Testament, most often having to do with family love, friendship love, love for God, love for neighbor, love for stranger. This is not agav, this is ahav, and they have a respect for each other as warriors, as men, and it is meeting a need within each of them that is healthy and normal. And so I just want to encourage you in that regard too. You know, ladies, have other lady friends. Men, have other men friends. And do those things that you love to do that are important to you that the other person won't be able to understand, you know? Like, I don't, I don't understand some of the things that, for you ladies, uh, is meaningful to you, nor do you always understand some of the things that are meaningful to us as guys. But respecting that and understanding that God has wired us in unique ways that are healthy and to celebrate that. And so when you read this, we're reading it with that in mind. This is not some unhealthy, uh, immoral sexual attraction here. This is two men who have respect for each other as warriors, and they have a deep love for each other that meets a certain need and ministers to a soul need in both of them as they have been uniquely wired by God. Everybody understand that? All right, good. Let's pause there and pray. Lord, thank you for this time together in your word. And 
Uh, We just commit this to you, and we just thank you, Lord, for friendships, deep personal friendships that often only come around a couple of times in a lifetime. Thank you, Lord, for, for friends. And we thank you for the example of David, who was just a mighty man, courageous, who, who wanted to defend your name and how you fought the battle, enabling him to have victory over this enemy, freeing a nation from being enslaved to fear. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today, so put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.